0: I'm Dan Rundy. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm here with my friend Gloria Steele. Gloria is the Deputy Assistant Administrator for the Asia Bureau at USAID. She's had a wonderful career at USAID and is the soon-to-be incoming Chief Operating Officer of CARE, one of the largest social sector organizations in the world. Gloria's had a fabulous career at AID. She's been largely leading the Bureau for Asia for the last four years. And prior to that, she was USAID's mission director for the Philippines, the Pacific Islands, and Mongolia. Gloria, it's great to have you today. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Tell us, how did you get started at USAID, and what led you to become interested in global development work?
1: You know, what got me interested in development work first was When I was still in college, I did an internship at uh, the Department of Agriculture in the Philippines. I actually intended to train for the business world, but uh, while working at the Department of Agriculture, I came up close and personal to the poorest of the poor in the Philippines and thought, this is where I want to work. This is where I want to make my career. And so when I graduated and then went back to the Department of Agriculture, I worked very closely with USAID. They actually sent me to school for my master's degree, which got us even closer. And then when I migrated to the United States in 1980, they invited me to work
0: at USAID. And so I I started as an institutional contractor. You're a naturalized U.S. citizen. You've lived the American dream. You've had a fabulous career at USAID. You'd spent a lot of time in Washington in your career at USAID. And at one point along the way, you were asked to return to your country of birth at representing the United States as USAID Mission Director in the Philippines. Can you tell us what was that experience like for you? I always describe that as my
1: North Star. When I joined AID in 1980, I wanted to be able to go back to the Philippines, working at USAID, because they gave me my breaks. They sent me to school, which opened doors for me, and so Going back to work for USAID in the Philippines was something that i would always wanted to do and finally got to do 30 years later. While in the Philippines, I put together all the lessons that I've learned to see whether I could actually make it happen, make things happen. And that's exactly what I did, was uh, put
0: all my lessons, development lessons together. What were some of the things that you were most proud of at your time in the Philippines?
1: A lot. When I came to the Philippines, the program was really unidimensional, working in Mindanao on terrorism. But it wasn't really getting very far. You know, there was not much uh, accomplishment. They had been working on this for 20, 25 years. And I felt at that time when I came, a reform-minded president was voted. And so I thought this was an opportunity we needed to take advantage of. And so I rearranged the programs in order to make USAID be more relevant, not just work on terrorism, but work in trying to get the Philippines out of poverty. When I first started to work in the Philippines, the Filipinos would call the Philippines, the sick man of Asia. And I think by the end of the term of Aquino, And working with the government at that time, they had become one of the highest growth countries in Asia. In fact, during one of the years, they exceeded China's growth rate. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the things that taught me, though, while I was looking back, was that democracy, democratic values play a very important role. Because after Aquino, Duterte was voted into office. And although a lot of the gains in the economic growth sector were made, a lot of gains were also lost because of the human rights abuses, because of closure of media, freedom, etc. So the trajectory that I was hoping to see happen didn't actually happen and got stalled because of democracy, because of the uh, issues on democratic values.
0: Wow. Are you optimistic? Tell me about your hopes for the future for the Philippines having served as mission director there.
1: I am still hopeful despite what happened because I think that by and large the Filipinos know what they want and now they can see what happens, what can happen to them and I am optimistic that they will maintain the civil society will continue to be stronger and that they will continue to fight for their rights. My big dream is that That poverty issues get addressed even more than they are doing right now. The issue of inclusive growth continues to be an issue in the Philippines. We see some of the richest people, and yet we also see some of the poorest people, and that needs to be
0: addressed. One of the things that I think has changed in the last 15 years in Asia is China's influence in the region. You've been a a lead person in the Asia Bureau. You've led the Asia Bureau. You're deputy assistant administrator for the Asia Bureau now. Gloria? How does China do development and how do you compare that to the way the United States does development, if I can put it that way? I'd like to believe the United States still offers something attractive to countries in Asia. And could you just talk a little bit about that?
1: We always say that um, our goal in all the countries where we work is to help countries become more self-reliant. We call this the journey to self-reliance. What we do is we train them to be able to grow on their own, make their own plans for growth, and chart their own development trajectory. I think that the difference between our development approach and that of China's is that, as you have seen, a lot of erosion in terms of democratic values and a lot of countries being that strapped The Council for Global Development's analysis of the most highly debt stressed countries in in the world show that six of the eight are in Asia. That has got to be
0: addressed. What is it that these countries want from the United States? What's the offer that they want from the United States? I think what they should want
1: is uh, the assistance to make growth more inclusive. We don't have the kind of poverty that some other regions have. But we have the most number of poor in countries like India, for example, and the poor are very poor. I think our major problem in Asia is the lack of inclusivity. And that means more work in trying to make sure that growth is shared by many through our work in education. I think education is a major equalizer and an important equalizer. We need to work more in that area. Of course, we need to make the growth continue to happen. But again, I go back to democratic values and values that try to address corruption and lack of transparency. Because as we have seen now, the lack of transparency and corruption exacerbate almost everything. I mean, look at what happened with COVID.
0: Let's just talk about that for a minute. I I was really privileged to work with you, Gloria, on some of the issues that there's a There's a strategy, there's an Indo-Pacific strategy. The strategy is put together before COVID, just like strategies that the IMF had or the World Bank had or the U.S. military had or the U.S. State Department had for how they were gonna look at Asia. And then COVID happened, which was a disruptor, an accelerator, and a clarifier, and an opportunity provider if I could provide it that way. What I've been struck by are several things. I mean, I've I've done 500 Zoom phone calls since March the 12th, basically. I feel like I'm like executive platinum on Zoom or global services on Zoom. And, you know, I've got like several deep thoughts that I'll share with you. Some of it through some of the work that we've done together uh, in your role. And I've really been grateful for the opportunity to work with you. But. There are going to be tectonic shifts in global trade. We're not going to depend on, want to depend on China for PPE or ventilators or pills. And so the concept of supply chain resiliency is going to create opportunities in Southeast Asia, places like the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, Central America, Mexico, Puerto Rico, all of North America, maybe Colombia. So in my mind, I think we're going to see trade agreements follow those shifts in trade flows, as well as using the mix of trade aid, using ODA to grease the skids of that. I also think the fact that we're doing this over Zoom, and you know this better than I do because you're dealing this all the time in your region, that there's just been more e-commerce, distance learning and digital payments in the last 34 weeks than in the last 34 years combined. And so we've talked a lot about digital transformation. The idea is a digital transformation strategy. There's an explosion of demand for access to the internet so that because, and, and the breach, the inequalities around internet access are very glaring. And to have modernity, we're gonna need that. And so I know that this is something you're also, I'm sure, I know you're thinking about. The other thing I would just say is, and this is something you put me onto, which is that the intersection between environmental stewardship and health is gonna be a much bigger part of our future than it was two years ago. And so you put me onto this, and so man, intersection of human health, food security, veterinary sciences, conservation, woodlands, as well as in our human health is just, we're going to have to get a better handle on this, this set of issues.
1: That's right. And I think we shouldn't have had COVID to realize that the nexus between human health and wildlife, the way that we deal with nature and with wildlife should have been taken into account. We should have been doing that. And now we know we, should, we will continue there are a lot of opportunities and i do want to thank you and csis for helping us go through the three areas of the indo-pacific strategy uh, or ways that we can take advantage of openings that have become available after covid-19 happened like you were saying openings to cover you know the supply chain that china used to cover and more attention to health issues more attention to the use of digital Connections, And as you know, we launched last March a digital connectivity strategy, which, of which there are not very many among development um, donors. No. So this is an area that we need to take advantage of and use and, and advance because we know that it works. We know that it's important and a lot more work needs to be done, particularly the gender divide in digital connectivity is an area we need to take advantage of. While on the one hand, it's important to advance economic growth, it has also been an area that has fostered gender-based violence. So there are pros and cons, and we need to be able to address the cons and advance the benefits.
0: When at some point, I pray it soon, Gloria, that that COVID's in the rearview mirror. There's going to be a lot of scars and a lot of change that it leaves in its wake. And we've talked about some of the digital issues, shifts in trade. I also think the sensitivity about health issues as well as the intersection of health and the environment, this issue of one health, are Mm -hmm. some of them. One of the things, right before COVID, I went to Manila to the, and I spoke to the board of the Asian Development Bank and I had a chance to meet with the relatively then new president of the Asian Development Bank. Very, very impressed with this, with this relatively new president of the Asian Development Bank. And I said to him, what are your priorities? And he had three priorities. He said, I wanna, I'm going to focus for the next five to seven years on taxes, education, and aging. And I said, oh my word, aging. Why would you focus on aging? I was quite struck by this. I had not thought about this. And he, in essence, said there are 48 countries that the Asian Development Bank lends to in Asia. And today, about 15 of them are aging societies. And if you fast forward 10 years, about 35 will be aging societies. And if you fast forward another five years, say 15 years, out of the 48 countries at least 40 of the 48 countries 15 years from today will in essence be aging societies, meaning that the, the birth rate will be below replacement level. You know? And so if I said that to you, does that surprise you? Because I didn't know anything about that, but you, you've you thought a lot about, you know a lot about Asia. Is that a surprise that he would focus on aging as one of his priorities?
1: No, and I think that we all should. Over the last few days, I've been reflecting and thinking about What could I have done? What could I have done better? What could I have advanced? And one of them is aging. You and I have had the conversation about this. You know, I'm very, you know, my interest in aging and my concern about not addressing it when we still can. Unfortunately, as you pointed out, the rate is going to increase. And by then, the economies and the social safety nets will not be in place. For a whole lot of countries and i think we need to start working on that and i think his focus on taxes and education are really quite connected to there needs to be a way to begin to provide safety net but at the same time providing education that meets the needs of an aging society so i think
0: they're all connected they're all connected. I do think this issue of demography, I think we've often thought about developing countries of having youth bulges and young people and many developing countries in East Asia, but as well as in other parts of the world, have had demographic dividends. If you invested in people, if you, if you had economic growth, there was a, vi- a virtuous cycle. The worries about aging, if you don't have increased the productivity of your people or you don't have technological breakthroughs, your levels of growth potential with an aging society shrinks over time. The amount of investment capital that's one to be put at risk shrinks over time. And so the worry is, in addition to these terrible pressures on social safety nets, is that a number of countries in Asia, we talked about the fact that many of them are lower middle income or middle income countries, that if they don't escape the middle income country trap before they get too old, they may get trapped in a middle income trap because of a demography, not because of anything else. Until, up until now, this hasn't been an issue, but because of changes all over the world in global society in the last 60 years, we're now coming to a point, and once you hit a certain level of birth rate, it's almost impossible to reverse it.
1: That's right. When the economy doesn't grow, when education does not catch up with the needs of modern society, you will have an increase in out-migration. And who migrates? These are the younger people, at least in Asia. These are the younger people. These are the people that find, are better educated in many cases. And I'm afraid that it will enlarge the gap. It'll make it even worse. Yes, and the rich and the poor. So the United States, for example, will be able to attract nurses to come. And they have them.
0: They many from asia
1: that's right and that's what's going to happen because the countries where they come from cannot afford to keep them and the better off countries need them and will be able to uh, utilize their services and pay them better wages that's what you're going to see happen the migration of the younger more productive uh, probably higher educated people because the countries where they come
0: from don't offer them the opportunities So, Gloria, tell me, you're taking a new role as Chief Operating Officer of CARE. What are you looking forward to about taking this new role?
1: You know, I've only worked in government. When I was in the Philippines, I worked for the Philippine government. And then when I uh, migrated to the U.S., I've only worked for USAID. I've worked in different places in USAID, but I've only worked in USAID. So one of the things I'm looking forward to is working in a non-government organization still doing development and um, looking at how I can transfer or share lessons I've learned working in development and humanitarian assistance in government to a non-government organization. I am looking forward to introducing new, new ways of doing development in care based on what I have observed around in AID working with different development partners using the private sector for instance you know, trying to introduce innovations in the
0: way that they do business. It's very exciting. What are you optimistic about for the future of global development in general? Well, I am optimistic
1: about COVID disappearing or being uh, mitigated. Yeah, I'm
0: optimistic it'll end soon too. I'm optimistic it'll disappear. I'm hopeful. Goodness, goodness. Yeah, and that opens up opportunities because we've talked
1: about opportunities that we're seeing now using a digital connectivity, expanding the supply chain, et cetera, and being able, having found all these new opportunities, being able to introduce it in a COVID-free global development
0: arena. Wow. All right. Well, Gloria, I'm so grateful that you would take the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for your public service at AID. I wanted to thank you myself, for your public service. You've had a wonderful career at aid. This isn't goodbye. It's see you next year. It's talk to you often next year in your new life at CARE. Uh, I'm so grateful for the partnership we've had at CSIS with you, but I'm also just so grateful for our time when we worked together at AID together. But also, I'm just so grateful for all of your service that you've done for the United States and representing the United States in the roles that you've served in your many years at AID. Thank you, Gloria, so much.
1: Thank you, Dan, and I do look forward to working with you again. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit CSIS.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog.